Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning we are concluding our series called The Good Life because I'm going to start a brand new series next Sunday called Welcome Home. And this Sunday, as we conclude The Good Life, we're going to talk about the loving life. And we're in this great passage that is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. And I'm going to read that passage to you. And it says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to these we were all called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And whoever desires to love life, let him and her see good days. That's found in verse 10. And today's message is really focused on that verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. I, I think that we all want the good life and we all want to see good days. And I know that when we don't, we are quite discouraged. We are quite frustrated, angry. We can get angry at ourselves, others, and even God. It can distance us from the people who are closest to us. It can distance us from our vision for our lives, for the desires that we have, for the goals that we have set. It can distance us from the relationships that we should be nurturing, the relationship that we should be going even deeper with when it comes to God. Think of how tragedies and, 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 and trials and, and any type of tribulation can separate us in a, in a sense from this closeness that we want to have with God and with others. And especially from this good life that we're trying so desperately to achieve. I think we all want to progress. We all want to advance. We all want to see things go forward. And when they don't, we can get pretty down on ourselves. But I want you to know that there's a reason why as, as human beings, we turn to one another and we say certain things to kind of, you know, wish well and, and to encourage others. Like in our English culture, we can say, hey, have a good day. In, in French, we, we, we say bonjour. We want people to have a good day. 
In, in Spanish, we say, que tengas un buen día. Or in Portuguese, bom dia. In Italian, you say, buongiorno. We talk about the dolce vita, the sweet life. And we do these things because we all want a good day. We want the good days that verse 10 is talking about. It says that whoever desires to love life and see good days. Well, isn't that us? Isn't that you? Isn't this what you want for your life? There's one person in the Bible more than any other who lived the good life, who lived this sweet life, and that was Solomon. The Bible says that when the time came for him to be anointed king, God said to him, whatever you ask of me, I will give you. And, and Solomon thought long and hard on this. And he came back to God and he said, I want you to give me wisdom. And God looks at him and says, I'm so pleased with your choice. I'm so pleased with your decision. What you ask for, I will give you. And I will give you in abundance. And you will have it more than any other person in the world. And God blessed Solomon with wisdom. And every decision that Solomon made brought him the good life. And it brought not only the good life to him, but it brought the good life to everyone in his kingdom. And he became the envy even of other kingdoms. But there's something strange about what happened with what God had blessed him with and what Solomon was so capable of using to not only the glory of God, but also to the benefit of his people, giving everyone the good life, is that he began to depend on his wisdom more and more and on his relationship with God less and less. And the Bible says that the prosperity that he had began to somehow deceive his heart and distort his view and discourage him in the good life that he was living. And the Bible says that there was a time when the queen of Sheba, a black queen, left her kingdom to go and visit Solomon in his kingdom to receive wisdom from this king so that she could be encouraged and lead her people even better with the wisdom she would receive. And the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles, in, in chapter 9 and in verse 4, that the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. I think of that. Now here's a queen who has the good life. Here is the queen who is the queen of her own kingdom and is living the sweet life. But when she saw Solomon's life, she was left breathless. Now that's the only time in the scriptures, by the way, that you're going to find that. And so how do we know Solomon lived the sweetest life? How do we know his life was better than any others? Well, because 
the queen of Sheba was left breathless. Now think of a time in which you were left breathless. Think of a time in which your mouth stayed open way too long that birds were actually able to nest there. Where you were able to look on what was going on and you were taken aback by what you saw. I'm sure there aren't too many moments like that in your life. There aren't many in my own. But I'm certain that when a queen comes into a kingdom and sees someone living the good life, someone else who's living the good life, and her mouth stays open, and she stops breathing, come on, that tells you that Solomon was next level. And yet, do you know what it says about Solomon? It says that no one possessed more than him. It says that he had such incredible wealth, so much gold and so much silver that there was no other kingdom that possessed as much. He had more houses, more horses, and more chariots than anyone. He had more women and more sex, and he had more land and more power than anyone ever lived he had fame and honor and the respect of even his greatest rivals. Nobody messed with Solomon. So much so that it was the only time in the history of Israel with the longest period of peace. He had everything that people today would say, this is what the good life must contain. And by definition, he lived it. And yet, we discover something about Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, this is Solomon describing his own life. So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous for me. Because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Come on, Solomon, you're living the good life and you hate life? And yet Peter talks to us about what it takes to love life. And you would think that Solomon would have nailed that in his lifetime. You would have figured that with the years that God had given them, the wisdom that he had acquired, the possessions and the power and that everything that came with that, that that would have been enough. But then Solomon looks at his life and then he says, I so hated life. There was a time when my brothers and I decided to take a trip together and we had never been on vacation together as brothers, um, not since we were little kids. And so I came up with this idea that for my 40th, I wanted to go on vacation with my brothers. And so we all begged for permission from our wives, received it graciously, and uh, we were allowed to go to Cuba. And we went to Cuba and we were snorkeling and just having fun and just enjoying that beautiful country and it was one time we went into Havana and we went into Havana uh, we wanted to of course go to this famous cafe called the Floridita and the Floridita was famous because it had uh, a statue of Ernest Hemingway and uh, 
He was one of my favorite authors and one of the guys that I really respected literally uh, because of his literally uh, literal uh, proudness. And I wanted to, to just be there. And so we went to this cafe and took pictures with this uh, statue of Ernest Hemingway. And it was an incredible moment for us because here was someone that we knew quite a bit about. And Ernest Hemingway, in case you didn't know, uh, he lived the good life. Uh, he was a literary genius. But what really made him famous was his avant-garde approach to life, the way he pursued the good life in a time when others would never do such a thing. Uh, he had, of course, little, dis little regard uh, and a high disregard for the Bible, uh, little regard for the Victorian systems of morality. He had little regard for any definition of sin that invaded his behavior. And so he pursued his good life, the love of life. And he did it this way. He did it through drinking, through parties, through fighting and revolutions, through tumbling women all over the world. Uh, this guy lived exactly the way that he wanted to live. And he, he was admired for it. He became famous because of it. He had power. He had fame. He had prestige. He had traveled the globe more than anyone else. And he had sold millions of books. He pursued pleasure incessantly. And at the end, did he love life? Did he find good days? No, because in the end, he put a bullet to his head and he blew it off. Now, how is it possible that two people, one in the Bible, in Solomon, and another in this world, like Solomon was, but closer to us in terms of our understanding of someone who would live this good life, why would both come to the same conclusion? Because they were fulfilling their lives with things that were empty. Solomon called it chasing the wind. He called it futility. He said it was grievous for him. And I want you to know that this was also true for Ernest Hemingway. He had it all, but it wasn't enough. And I can tell you that anyone in this world who would pursue the things of this world without taking heed to the words of Peter will end up just where these two men ended up, far from God, wanting to take their own lives, believing that all of it was for nothing. The Bible tells us in verse 10 that whoever desires to love life and see good days that there are certain things that they should do. Now, the cool thing about loving life is that there's this Greek word that's called zoe. And zoe means to love life. The, world, the word life in the passage that we are reading is zoe. And there are two words, actually, in Greek for life. One is zoe, and the other is bios. And bios, we would know for the word biology. And that means the stuff of life. Living as opposed to dying. Being alive as opposed to being dead. And the technical reality of being alive, that's bios. That's the biological life. But Peter isn't talking about biological life. He's talking about zoe. 
He's talking about life as opposed to death, but all the experience and the richness of really living. All that is the fullness of life. Peter says those who mean not only to love life in that way, they will see good days. Days that are meaningful, days that are beneficial, days that are productive, purposeful, satisfying, not empty or vain, not useless, not unfulfilling days. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about Zoe. He's talking about the fullness of life. Peter says to them, if you really mean to love life and you mean to have good days, he proceeds to give them the characteristics of how to achieve that. So come on, let's listen in. Let's listen in to what Peter has to say here. Because Peter gives us a list. And for the very first time, there are four things out of the five things that he mentions that are not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. And these four things, what Peter does is that he finally gives us an understanding of the characteristics of the attitudes that we are to have to live the good life. So what Peter does is with the help of the Holy Spirit is that he gives inspiration to us all. As he was inspired by God, he now inspires us to understand what it takes to live that good life. Not a life like Solomon's, not a life like Hemingway's, but the kind of life that Peter says we can all have, the good life with good days. Are you ready? The right attitude is seen and understood through verse 8. And he says this, to sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. The first word that he gives us is harmonious. And it was a word that had never been used before. The word unity had been used before, but not harmonious. And he was saying that it's important for us to be like-minded so that we can maintain the inward unity of heart. You look at people that are hating life, you're going to find discord in their life. You're going to find a lack of unity and a lack of like-mindedness, whether it be in a relationship, in a partnership, whether it be in the home or in business, whether it be on a team or whether it be in a family, wherever you do not have harmony, wherever you are not harmonious, wherever you are not like-minded, you are going to be hating life. You're not going to have the good life. And what Peter says is that if you want to see the good life, then start with being harmonious. Don't wait for others to be harmonious. Don't wait for others to take that step. You take it first. You be the first to be the peacemaker. You be the first to bring unity. You be the first to break the discord and bring an accord so that you can take the steps forward in experiencing the good life. The second thing he says is that I want you to be sympathetic. In other words, I want you to do what it takes to be willing to suffer together with someone else. 
When you are sympathetic, it doesn't mean that you just feel sorry, but it means that you are willing to take the journey with them. And it means that you are willing to come alongside them and see it through and see it to the end and see it so that they can get to the other side of whatever it is that they are suffering. The Bible says that when we make decisions to be sympathetic, that we take on the very characteristic that is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is sympathetic, that Jesus is sympathetic towards us. It means that he is willing to suffer with us, journey with us, so that we can get through whatever it is that we are living so that we can once again experience the good days. And then he talks about brotherly love. And he says that this is an unselfish service. It means that you are doing things without looking for or demanding or requiring anything in return. You were doing it out of love to whoever it is that needs it. The fourth is kind-hearted. And this talks about in the Greek language that it comes from the innermost parts of your body. And in fact, the word refers to the biology of one's inward organs. In other words, when we are talking about deep affection, the Bible is trying to describe it as, hey, this is like where your kidney is, and, and, and this is where your heart is, and, and this is where the other organs are that demonstrate how deep this goes. And so the Greek word that is used here is to show that there is an inward deep affection and you can't get any deeper than beneath the skin and the muscle and the tissue that is required to get to those organs. Those things that give life. When we talk about being kind-hearted, it means going into the innermost place and revealing that to whoever would need it. And then lastly, he says, I want you to be humble in spirit. It means to be humble-minded. It means to consider others more than yourself. It means to put others first. At a certain point, it became about just living the good life for Solomon. It meant just having more of everything. And he thought that having more of something or even having something that he had never had before, that that somehow would bring fulfillment. And here's a man who had wisdom but lost it along the way because he stopped doing things the way that God wanted him to do. And he just kept following his own pursuits and the passions of his own flesh. Ernest Hemingway traveled the world, sold millions of books, experienced things that we could only read about and marvel, and yet he put a gun to his head and blew it off because he couldn't take life anymore. These were people who thought they were living the good life. But Peter gave us the true recipe. He told us what the great attitudes are. Listen, when you want to experience the good life, here's how it's going to happen. Change your attitude. Be sympathetic. Be harmonious. Have brotherly love. Be kind-hearted. Be humble in spirit. Do these things. And guess what's going to happen? God is going to give you the blessed life instead. God is going to give you the blessing that you cannot bring. But when you change your attitude and you put these characteristics into place and you live them out every day of your life, no matter what, guess what? You'll live the good life. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to have 
that good life. But it comes first from having the right attitudes. Peter shows us what they are. Let's put them into practice with God's help. Amen. Lord, bless us and help us to achieve this, God. You've revealed this and you've shown us what it takes. I pray that you enable us, Lord, to live it out. Thank you for every person that is going to take this step right now in praying with me and saying, Lord, I want to live the good life according to your definition. I want to have the right attitude. I want these characteristics in my life. I want to do this, Lord, in a way that pleases you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen to the good life. Amen to what God is going to bless you with as you put into practice these characteristics. God bless you. And guess what? I'm seeing you in person next Sunday. Sunday, August 1st at 10.30 a.m. Hey, we are going to be in the house. Welcome back. We're back. It's going to be great. See you then. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.